Coming to you from Focus One Financial Planning in Roanoke, Virginia, this is Money Gurus, where we help you bypass financial jargon to make the most of your money. Welcome to another edition of the Money Gurus. Today's topic is the emergency fund. What is it? How does it work? How much should it be? We'll answer all of your questions around this topic. I'm Morgan Jesse, and I'm here today with Bo Blankenship, founder and partner at Focus One. Bo has a master's in taxation, is a certified financial planner, and has been in financial planning for over 30 years. So let's jump right in. Bo, what is an emergency fund? Well, in its simplest form, the emergency fund is a, is a separate cash fund designed to be available to pay for unexpected expenses outside of your normal daily or monthly expenses. Uh, your, fu- your emergency fund should be able to cover all of your simple living expenses like food, shelter, transportation, insurance, and health care, along with, along, along with bigger expenses such as getting your car repaired or house repaired. You should be able to live 100% off of your emergency fund, so it needs to cover all of your daily expenses. Okay, so why do I need an emergency fund? Well, let's go through an example. Uh, let's say you're living paycheck to paycheck. You don't have an emergency fund. And then an unexpected major car repair occurs, and you need $2,000. So where do you go for the money? And and this is really what we're trying to avoid. Where do you go for that $2,000? You don't have it. You're living paycheck to paycheck. You're not able to raise it. So where do you go? Do you go to your credit card? Do you go to your bank and get a personal loan? Do you borrow from the 401K? Do you borrow from mom and dad, et cetera? Um, If you... If you look at this, what do all of these options have in common? They're all bad, right? The credit card has a a huge interest rate that they would charge you. A personal loan, the same thing with the bank. Borrowing from a 401k is never good. Um, So they're just not any good places to go. So we want to avoid that event where you're stuck and there's really nowhere to go. So high interest rates, bad terms, bad outcomes, you want to avoid that. So that all makes sense. Um, How much should be in my emergency fund? Well, if you talk to most financial planners, they would tell you the rule of thumb is three to six months of after-tax expenses. Because remember, once you've put the money in the emergency fund, that money is tax-free. So you don't need the pre-tax amount that you normally earn month to month. You need the after-tax that you're, you're spending. So... The general rule of thumb is three to six months, uh, but it's based on a number of factors. Um, if and, and let's use an example. If your monthly expenses were 3000 per month, I would want the emergency fund to be between 9000 to 18000 a month. So the, the best way to determine what works for you is if you track your expenses for a few months to come up with a baseline number, and then you can use that and add any other possible expenses if you wanted to cover those as well. For example, if you want to go out, a, out to dinner a few times with your friends, you should factor that in as well. So there, it's you can use that baseline number and then add things based on your personal preference. So is there anything else we should think about setting money aside for? Um, yes, absolutely. So, And this is one thing that we're finding more and more as we talk to young people in particular. I'll use an example. I'll use my son who just graduated college. He's been working for a year or two. And the general 
advice that you get in the financial world is that you should save for retirement. And so these young people are stuffing money into their 401k or pre-tax IRAs, and they're really not thinking about what I consider the life cycle of a person who just graduated high school or college and starts a job. So if you look at what things they need or what things they run into as they get out of school and they just start that first job, they they typically need a car. So even whether, whether it's used or new, they'll need money for a car. They need money for an apartment. So uh, yes, it's the rent, but most apartments now, they want a down payment, they want a deposit. So where are you getting that cash from? And then once you get the apartment, uh, you know, furniture cost tons of money. So you got to have money for the furniture. Maybe they need new clothes for the job because uh, certain jobs, a lot of kids coming out of college have no suits, no business clothes, so they need that. So, and again, using my son as an example, um, he's going to get married in a year or so. What about a wedding? I mean, weddings are extravagantly expensive. Uh, what about the honeymoon? So once they get married, do they want to buy a house? How do they get down payment for a house? How do they cover the furniture for the house? Um, the other thing that happens, particularly more now than it used to, is young people are changing, not just young people, people in general are changing jobs more frequently. So I consider that job transition cost. So if if I need to move to another city, if I need to take some time off or, or whatever it may be in between jobs to prepare for the next job, I need cash to help me make it through that time period. And then just to sort of finish off that life cycle, you get married, you buy a house, you pay for the wedding, and then maybe you have kids. Um, again, all that requires cash that is not in a retirement plan. So the, the advice I'm giving my son is to keep stashing cash as much as he can because it would be awful hard for him to put too much away. The cost that he's going to incur over the next few years is, is quite a lot. So he's, that's what he's doing. And the other thing that affects this is if you look at the income level of a person throughout their earning years, uh, most of the time they're earning the least amount of money as they just get out of school. And if you look at a retirement plan, one of the big advantages to a retirement plan is you're able to contribute pre-tax, meaning you get a tax deduction for the contribution in the hope that when you're older, you take it out, you're in a lower tax bracket. For most people, their income is going up from here, not down. So really the tax deduction for a person that just gets out of college is not worth as much um, as the value of having the cash available to pay for expenses that they're going to incur in the next few years. Okay. So like, I know for me, like I'm a spender, if I get money, it's burning a hole in my pocket. Mm -hmm. So how do we ensure that we're setting that money aside? Well, I would tell you that's a big part of it. Uh, There's a lot of, there are a lot of financial planners that work just around behavior because behavior drives, um, really your success in financial planning. So the, 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 the big question you need to ask yourself, and you have to be honest, is are you a saver? I would say most people are not. And so what you need to do is 
it needs to be automatic each month or each paycheck, whether it be, you know, you get your paycheck and then you write a check immediately or transfer money to a savings account, or some companies will allow you to direct deposit a portion to a different account. It has to be automatic. It has to be consistent uh, in order for it to be successful. The other thing, where you put it is important, particularly if you uh, are inclined to spend money. So it can't be too liquid. It can't be too convenient for you to get to. I actually have clients that put money in the brokerage account. We invest it very conservatively, but they like the fact that they have to call us to get the money. That's one step that they are reluctant to make. Even though they could call easily, they just don't do it. So it, it keeps them from spending it. So certainly putting it in a, in a good place, uh, saving it consistently, or putting it in a place that's not convenient for you to get to, that, that all helps. And then the other thing that we'll talk to in a different podcast is your budgeting because uh, most people don't aren't budgeting well so they end up whether it's uh, getting expensive apartment expensive car eating out too much whatever it may be and they have no extra money to save so that's that's a starting point but for now for now for this discussion I would say just make sure that it's consistently being saved somewhere where it's not easily accessible so let's say I have an investment account and my account balance is enough to be my emergency fund. Why can't I just use that? Well, it, it, that's probably not a good idea. The reason is if it's, if it's truly an investment account, which this is part of really a comprehensive financial planning that would, we would need to go more, get more involved into. But if, if it truly is an investment account, you have money in stocks. And, of course, stocks long-term give you a great return, but in the short term can be extremely volatile. So what you would not want to happen is you have your money in stocks, you're using it as an emergency fund, and use, for example, the uh, coronavirus as an example. Let's say I had money in stock, uh, I get furloughed or lose my job because of the pandemic, uh, the, and at the same time that I need the money, the market drops 25%. So I am ended up using money that has dropped in value, which I certainly don't want. I need the, I need the emergency money to be safe, liquid, and, and not that volatile. So it really it needs to be a separate account, and it needs to be invested conservatively. Yikes. Okay, so it sounds like I won't be using my investment account. Um so let's say I've been trying to pay off some debt. Should I stop doing that and start saving into my emergency fund instead? Uh, that's a good question. Uh, you certainly need the emergency fund before you aggressively pay down debt. We are definitely in favor of paying down debt, but the emergency fund is critical to a strong financial plan. So what I would tell you is I would focus first, of course, on any loans, whether it be student loans, car payments, whatever, um, you've got to pay the minimum payment. I would pay the minimum payment until I had my emergency fund where I thought it needed to be, and then I would aggressively pay down debt from there. Okay, so you said earlier that the amount that should be in your emergency fund is dependent on a number of factors. So can you give us some examples of what those factors would be? Yes, yes. So 
we talked about the three to six month baseline, which is a good baseline, but there are factors that would either increase that baseline or decrease that baseline. So I'll give you a few examples of both. So factors that would dictate a higher emergency fund would be you own your own business. Um, you're in an industry, meaning your your job is in an industry that is unstable. So you could lose your job or be furloughed for long periods of time. Your debt is high compared to your income. Um, you own a house versus renting. And I know you might be saying, well, why, why would that matter? The reason it matters is houses uh, typically can have unexpected maintenance issues. Um, you have an older car susceptible to maintenance issues. You don't have a lot of cash each month after expenses, which means any little hiccup could push you into that emergency fund quicker. So that those all would be examples of needing a higher emergency fund. Um, factors that would dictate a lower emergency fund would be you have low debt or no debt. Uh, you have a job or profession where there's strong demand. So even if you lost your job with your current firm, there would be plenty of opportunities in that particular industry. You rent an apartment versus own a house because, again, you're not uh, you're not exposed to potential maintenance issues. Uh, your car is newer, so you wouldn't expect a lot of maintenance on that. Uh, your monthly income is much greater than your monthly expenses, which gives you that cushion so that if something came up unexpectedly, you could just use cash flow to cover that expense for that month. So those are examples of uh, positive situations that would reduce your need for emergency funds. So it sounds like there isn't like a hard and fast number or calculation that you can use to determine the amount that should be in your emergency fund. Is that right? Uh, that's correct. So remember, your, your goal is to ensure you have enough excess cash to handle any unexpected expenses. Um, so we said three to six months, and that's a general benchmark, but and, and it's actually a, a very safe benchmark because most people won't go six months without either finding another job or having some, you know, having some kind of issue that would would carry on that long. So the six month number is a good number. So I would, if you're, if you have that six months set aside, you should be in good shape. So I know we talked a little bit earlier about um, how we can start saving for emergency funds, but do you have any other suggestions, any other um, ways that we could, if we don't have an emergency fund, how we could start one? Yeah, what I would suggest, this is the, the easiest thing is to, to keep things, keep life simple, is to either use a money market or a savings account at the bank as, your, as a starter emergency fund. One of the reasons is it's easy to trans transfer money to that account and still be able to see it, still be able to access it. It's, of course, it's safe. You're not going to see any volatility in it. Um, the key is you want to start out by tracking your expenses for a month or two or maybe a few months and setting aside a, a fixed amount each month to start building that fund. The other thing that would help you is to... to set a goal for what the amount is that you want to get to. It can give you energy, you can build energy around it, um, where you get excited the closer you get to it because you realize all right, that at that point you can do different things with the money. But again, the key is, is being consistent 
and saving an exact amount each month and saving it before it gets to your checking account where you can spend it. So that's that's a good starting point. So are there other steps that our listeners can take to make sure our emergency funds are sufficient? Uh, yes. Um, part of the, the biggest thing, you know, we talked about behavior early. Um, and when I look at clients that I see retire and they retire comfortably, uh, I would tell you, if you said, what is the one thing that they have done throughout life that other folks have not done? And the answer is always they have lived below their means. Or in other words, they made sure that their monthly expenses were significantly below the income that they were bringing in, and that allowed them to save. So, and again, we have a separate podcast on this issue, but really putting yourself in a position for success. And what that means is you know what income you're making. So whatever you need to do to reduce monthly expenses, you need to do so that you can save money, not just into the emergency fund, but save money in general. So, um, for example, if you're looking for an apartment, if the apartments are too expensive for where your income is, you share with you share the apartment with other people to reduce your rent. If your uh, car payment is too expensive, you get an old car, used car, reduce the payment there. So at every corner, whatever you can or however you can reduce your monthly expenses, you reduce your expenses, live below your means, set yourself up for success. Great. So let's say I've gone through the process you've outlined and now I have an emergency fund. Should I keep the money in my savings account, in a money market, maybe a CD at the bank? I know right now I'm getting almost no interest at the bank. Yeah, so what what our clients do, once they've saved enough money that they feel like they're, they've got the emergency fund where they want it as far as the amount, there are ways to get a little better interest than what you're getting in a money market or CD at the bank. You can put the money in short-term bond funds, set up a brokerage account. It's still liquid. It's still easy to access if you happen to need it. Uh, you get a little bit better interest. Maybe you're getting 2 or 3% interest. Uh, if you put up municipal bonds, it's tax-free. So there are better ways to get a little better interest on it, uh, but that's sort of a down-the-road question. But, yes, there are places to look once you've got the emergency fund uh, fully funded. Um, so once it's fully funded and I'm comfortable with the amount that I have in it, are there better investment options? Um, yeah, we sort of went. Did just, we go through yeah, that? I feel like a lot of this is maybe yeah. redundant. Um, okay. Um, great. So this might be a dumb question, but I have all this money saved up. So now what constitutes an emergency? Another good question. I would say ask yourself these three questions. Is it unexpected? Uh, and let's... Is it necessary and is it urgent? Uh, if the answer is yes to all three, you can you should consider using the emergency fund. Uh, but one thing here is uh, when you say unexpected. So, f- for example, um, in Virginia, we pay personal property tax once a year. So really, that should be part of your budget. You should know that we pay the property tax once a year. So that's an issue where you would not want to go into emergency fund to pay for that. Uh, even things like maintenance on the car or uh, things that you know you're going to need. So there should be some 
form of budgeting for maintenance on the car because you know every you know two or three years you got to replace the tires and get the oil changed or whatever it may be. So there are certain things that you really need to to budget for. So when you say is it unexpected, that needs to be a a really critical analysis of is this really unexpected or I just need to buckle down and pay for this out of cash flow each month. Um, so it is important to not, and this goes back again to behavior, is every time you know I, I overspend in a month, if I dig into the emergency fund, it's not going to last long. So I've got to be disciplined in my approach to this. Well, this discussion has definitely helped me understand what an emergency fund is and how it fits into my overall financial planning. I've got some work to do to make sure my own emergency fund is properly funded and to make sure my budgeting is where it needs to be. Thanks, Belle. Subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you have any comments or questions, please shoot us an email at morgan at focusonefp.com. If you are interested in learning more about what services we offer, please visit our website at www.focusonefp.com.